form and the health of a society as the wise living of the sun. It's very important. Number two, who is this woman? Uh, sort of on a surface level reading of Proverbs 31, you may come away concluding that she is way too idealistic to be a real woman. I mean, she's doing things that seem beyond the reach of actual attainment. Um, you read verses like, her lamp does not go out at night, and she rises while it's yet night. I mean, who? this is superwoman, right? She's, she's doing these things like, who can do this? She's working all the time. She's going out, getting up before the sun comes up. I mean, it's just way too idealistic, it seems. Um, but I want to show you that I think it's a real woman. I don't think this is um, some unattainable level um, that no one can, can get to. And what we'll see as we work through is some of these expressions, they don't really mean what they sound like on the surface. I don't think this woman is not sleeping ever. Um, I think something more is going on. We'll get to that when we get to the to the exegesis. Um, but I think this is a, is a real woman. Um, how did the book of Proverbs begin? Who is one of the first characters we meet in the book of Proverbs? It is Lady, Lady Wisdom. And she is not a real woman. She is a symbol. She is a personification of Solomon's wisdom. She's coming and calling the people to hear her. Um, she's not a real woman, but the book concludes with a real woman who now gives flesh to the ideals of wisdom that we see through the whole book. And I think the point is that wisdom is not theoretical. Wisdom is not just up here in this realm of philosophy and thought. Wisdom has massive implications. It's to be lived and experienced in daily life and practical ways. And that is what this excellent wife teaches us. These massive truths, the fear of the Lord, these ideals of wisdom is to be worked out experientially in day-to-day life. Uh, so we'll see that as we, as we work through. So why do I think this is a real, a real woman? Um, she's very similar to Lady Wisdom in chapter 1 and chapter 8. Um, both of them model wisdom. Both of them are wise and loving teachers. But this woman has some differences. Um, she is presented as a wife and as a mother. Lady Wisdom is not presented in that way. Um, also, other Proverbs speak of this woman. Flip back to Proverbs 12. <clears throat> Hold your finger in 31 to look at Proverbs 12. In verse 4. <clears throat> Proverbs 12, verse 4. An excellent wife. That is the exact same expression in Hebrew as chapter 31, verse 10 begins. An excellent wife is a crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Well, is she who brings shame a real woman? Well, yeah, obviously she is. Well, in the same way, this excellent wife is a real woman. And now we're sort of getting the exposition of who she is, what she's like, what characterizes her in Proverbs 31. So we need this chapter. Another really interesting thing is in the Hebrew Bible, it's arranged differently than our English Bibles. Who knows what book immediately follows the book of Proverbs? What do you think? Not Ecclesiastes. Not the Song of Solomon. It's the book of Ruth. Interesting. They're all belonging to the writings section. The book of Ruth 
So as soon as you finish reading Proverbs 31, you begin reading the book of Ruth. And Ruth is called by the same title, the excellent woman, the exact same phrase in Hebrew. Um, look back to the, the book of Ruth just so you can see it and see where it's located. So you have Joshua Judges in Ruth, chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, verse 11. Is Boaz talking to, to Ruth on the threshing floor, if you remember the story. And he tells her, chapter 3, verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. It's the exact same phrase in Hebrew. You are a woman of valor, is the, the idea. We're going to unpack that a little bit, what, what's here. This excellent woman. So my meaning is not that Proverbs 31 woman is Ruth, but that Ruth is a kind of woman in, in Proverbs 31. This, these are... Um, this woman represents a real woman, and it's not beyond human attainment. She's not simply an allegory, in other words. She's not simply a metaphor. So before we jump into our passage, that's a little bit of introduction. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about sort of the structure, how this, how this whole section is put together. And uh, we've talked about this a lot as we've worked through Proverbs, and I want to remind you that... You talk about structure and how it's put together. It sounds sort of high and academic, and that's just for seminarians. But let me remind you, it's not. Um, God did not inspire a bullet point list of propositional truths. He inspired literature. He inspired genre. He inspired poetry and the way it's put together. And uh, we've, we've mentioned a principle several times that we've gone through Proverbs, and that is you don't know what a passage says fully until when? Do you remember what we say? Until you know how it says. You don't know fully what a passage, passage says until you know how it says. And that is going to be very clear as we look at how this passage is put together. Because the main point is seen when you see the structure of the passage. So look at the, the back of your, um, of your outline there. I have uh, two outlines. I will actually throw it up here on the screen. So it'll be a little easier to uh, follow through. I have two outlines. Look at the literary outline, if you will, the first of the two. I'll pull it up here. And uh, what I want you to see is not only the, the beauty and the art it took to put this together. This is not haphazardly thrown together. It is really a piece of art. I want you to see that. But I also want you to see the main point, okay? So bear with me, all right? Let's, let's look here. All right, so this is what I, I call the literary structure. First thing to point out is this is what is called an acrostic. Now, what is an acrostic? You've probably heard this before. Every letter. So every letter of the Hebrew alphabet begins a new line. So you have Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hay, Bob, so all the way down. And whenever you see that, it is, it is significant. It is as though... You're saying this is the A to Z's on this topic. This is a complete picture. This is the A to Z's on an excellent wife. This is a full um, picture of what is going on here. So it's an acrostic. The next thing to point out is very significant. The number seven, we see it all over the place in Proverbs. We see it again. There are three sections of seven verses. 
So you have the introduction is three verses, and the conclusion is four verses. And the introduction and conclusion are held together by these key words, excellent, husband, look at the conclusion. It's bound together by husband and excellent. Same exact words, and you're meant to connect the two. Conclusion is also held together by these key words, praise, praise, praise. So we're meant to see these are a unit, seven verses, very intentional. Then you have another section of seven verses, 13 to 19. And then you have another section of seven verses, verses 20 through 26. All this is very intentional. And when you see the structure, we're going to see the main point crystal clear. Another thing to point out here is that this section and this section are chiasms. So you remember a chiasm, it is sort of like this step structure. It goes to a pivot point and then it works its way back out. They're, they parallel each other. So look how this works. She seeks with, she works with raw materials, woolen flax, with her palms, and then the outer frame. With her palms, she holds the distaff and the spindle. She's now converting these raw materials into to thread to make clothing. She's like a merchant here, and she deals with the merchants. They're afraid. Uh, talks about her hunting like a lion, lioness will get there. Strength with her arms. And then the pivot point here is her palm. She works it up in a finger. Same thing here in verses 20 through 26. We have another chiasm. She opens her hand to the poor, and she opens her mouth to the teaching of kindness. She's not afraid of snow, and she laughs at the time to come. She's made adequate preparations for the future. She makes bed coverings, and she makes linen garments. And here's the pivot point. Her husband is known in the gates. That's the main point, and we will um, talk about that in a little bit. One more thing to point out, we have this sort of this floater verse, verse 27. What is that doing there? Uh, you think, well, that's not part of any of the seven, seven verses. Um, I think it's there for two reasons. Number one, this is an acrostic, so you have to have 22 verses. Um, and obviously, seven times three is 21. Um, but I think it's also there for another reason. So look at the back of your outline, at the chiastic structure. Again, all of this is so that we can see the, the main point, and you really get the main point here, I believe. Okay, so let me show you. I think the first page showed you sort of microstructure. This is sort of macro, how this whole passage works together, and I want you to see the, the pivot point. So verse 10 is the excellent wife, and verse 29 to 31, the excellent wife. 11 through 12 is her husband, and that's bracketed by 28, her husband. And I think verses 13 through 19 all comprise one sort of level in the frame, and it parallels with verse 27. Verse 27 says she does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not lazy. And verse 13 through 29 is all about what? It's all about her industry, all her activity. They're parallel. Finally, she opens her hand. She's not afraid of snow. She makes bed coverings. And then finally, what is the pivot point of the entire poem? It is it's her husband. And that's unique because the husband frames the outer parts of the frame, and it is the centerpiece. In other words, that is the main point. We're going to flesh this out as we go through, but his activity in the gate, he's not just sitting around sipping lemonade. That's not what's going on at the city gates. He is ruling the land as king. 
And all of her activity centers around that, supporting her husband in this role of leadership in the nation. Um, so you don't get that unless you see how this is being put together um, like this. So I want you to keep sort of this macro structure in mind as we go through. It's very significant. And uh, it's going to really help us see that this woman is not just out there doing her own thing. Um, she's committed to the success of her husband uh, in the city gates. Um, so any questions, comments? I went through that fast. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, and we will flesh out a lot of these details um, as we go through. Thoughts? Okay. Well, if you have any questions, thoughts, um, let me know as we as we go through. All right, so look at verse verse 10. We're going to begin this morning just in the introduction, uh, with the first three verses of the poem. Her worth is praised in verses 10 through 12. So let's begin reading it. And um, these are the first three, first three verses. It says, an excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he'll have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. So that's how it begins. It begins with her worth being praised. She is a valuable, valuable woman. Verse 10 begins extolling her great worth by zooming in to her worth expressed in the rarity of her character. She is a rare woman, and therefore she's very, very valuable. This is a valiant, heroic woman. This, this word, an excellent wife, has the idea of someone with heroic, warrior-like strength. Okay, So when we think um, the biblical picture of a woman, we do not get weak, frail, feeble. She's compared to a warrior. Okay, who's warrior strength here? Um, we'll spare the tie. You can look them up. I have them on the outline. Numbers 24, 1 Samuel 14, Psalm 108. All language, same word, this idea of valiance and strength and dominion. It can symbol military might. It can stand for wealth and even strength. So this woman is characterized by strength physically, and we're going to see that in her activities, but she's also characterized by strength, especially spiritually, morally. She's presented as a heroic warrior, and she succeeds and prevails by her great strength and valor. Some people translate this the valiant wife. And so what this means will be unfolded as you, as you go through the poem. Uh, but my point here is that her worth is based on this. Her worth is based on the fact that she is this kind of woman. Well, why is this important? Well, think back to the previous section, verses 1 to 9. Where did we see this word strength already? This will sort of help us understand what's going on here. Where have we already seen this? Um, I'll give you a clue. In English, it says strength, but it's the exact same word in, in Hebrew. Look back verses 1 to 9. There it is. It's not for a king to give his strength to women. Do not give your strength to women. It is the exact same word in the original language. It means your strength, your wealth, your ability to lead and succeed as a king. 
And so the king is in danger of forfeiting his strength, forfeiting his ability to lead the country well, if he is preoccupied with women, lust, satisfying his flesh. And now we get the contrast that rather than the king forfeiting his strength, he will gain strength, he will gain wealth, he will gain the ability to lead well if he marries well, if he marries this kind of woman. He's not going to lose any strength, he's going to be strengthened for his role as king and as leader. In other words, the strength of a woman is not in competition with her husband. It is supporting her husband. The king loses no strength, but he has increased in strength as he marries this kind of woman. I think that's what is what's going on here. So who is this woman? You can see on your outline, I wrote it out. This is how I would summarize her. She's a woman who prevails in life, in her calling, in her role, by her strength especially her wisdom and the fear of the Lord. She possesses true strength. God's wisdom is taking up residence in her heart and it's overflowing in her actions and her words. Her house is well provided for. Her children are instructed. Her husband is honored and exalted in the land. She doesn't sap his wealth and his strength, but increases it. He is now able to rule and succeed well. He has nothing to worry about on the home front. So that's who she is. It's a woman of heroic strength and power. Which leads to the next phrase, that she is a rare woman. It says, who can find? Who can find this kind of woman? And the point is not that she doesn't exist. The point is how rare she is. What's very interesting is this is the same language used of Wisdom. So flip back to Job 28. If you've been with us through our study, you'll know that Job 28 is significant. It talks about the value of wisdom and where wisdom comes from. And it uses this same kind of expression uh, to talk about wisdom in general. Job 28, look at verse 12. <laughs> talk about how rare a wise woman is. But Job 28 tells us how rare wisdom, wisdom is. Job 28, verse 12, he says, But where shall wisdom be found? True wisdom that consists in the knowledge of God and the right way to live through life. Where is that going to be found? And where is the place of understanding? Verse 13, man does not know how much it's worth. And it's not found in the land of living. You can't find wisdom on earth. And therefore, it is very rare. Where is wisdom located? We've talked about this over and over. It's not discoverable by man, but it must be what? Spiritually spiritually apprehended. It must be spiritually apprehended and revealed by God. Right? And because it's so rare, it is what? It's very, very valuable. Look what he goes. He compares it to all these precious stones. You can't buy it for gold. Silver can't be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir. Gold and glass cannot equal it. It goes through all these jewels and precious stones. Wisdom surpasses it. Well, why does wisdom surpass the value of these things? What makes these precious stones so valuable? Do you walk outside and kick golden nuggets around in the ground? You don't, right? Why is gold and diamonds and rubies so valuable? It's because they are so rare. rare. That's exactly right. And wisdom is very valuable because it is 
rare. It is undiscoverable by man. It must be given by God. In the same way, this woman is of extreme value because she is so rare. She's compared to wisdom itself. It's not a natural occurrence. This kind of woman who is selflessly devoted to her home and to her husband and of this kind of valor and strength is not a natural occurrence. This comes from the Lord alone. Look at Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19. Where does this kind of woman come from? Proverbs chapter 19, verse 14. Proverbs 19, verse 14. It says, House and wealth are inherited by fathers, but a prudent wife, where does she come from? Just from the Lord. Just like wisdom itself. She's of exceedingly great value. It's not a natural occurrence. It comes from the Lord alone. Rare of exceedingly great worth. Look back at Proverbs 31, verse 10. <clears throat> second, the second line. It gives us this illustration of how valuable she is. It says her she is far more precious than jewels. The word there is literally corals. She's more valuable than coral. Um, most translations use rubies or jewels or pearls. Uh, the word is most likely corals. It was used for jewelry at that time. It was very valuable and uh, expensive. Uh, if, I called, if I told my wife now that she's more valuable than corals, that wouldn't mean very much, right? Um, they're not very valuable now. But it was very exotic, very expensive at that time. This verse says that this kind of wife doesn't equal the price of corals. She far exceeds corals in value because she is even more rare than corals is the idea. Also, the mention of value here could refer to her bride price. Uh, now, we've talked a little bit before. Cultures around the world have bride prices. China does. I had to pay a bride price for Naomi. And she tells me I didn't pay enough. So... <laughs> And I told her, well, her value far exceeds any bride price I could have given. But she didn't buy it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I couldn't refer to that. This woman uh, has such a value that no bride price can compare to, to her worth. So let me give you a few implications here before we move on. Verse 10. First is to husbands. Value and treasure your wives for the way they embody these virtues beyond anything else. There's nothing wrong with beauty. There's nothing wrong with charm. It's just a little value in comparison with this. Look at verse 30 again. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain, but a woman who fears Yahweh is to be praised. Value this in your wives, husband. Recognize evidences of the fear of the Lord, of wisdom, of this character, and her value for that reason. Cultivate that. Recognize she's a gift to you from the Lord. This is rare of rare. This is more valuable than corals, that you have a woman that fears the Lord. Recognize the value and treasure it. Don't use this poem we're going to study to find shortcomings in your wife. You have plenty of your own shortcomings, men, as I do, in which we do not measure up to the role of the husband in the rest of the book of Proverbs. 
The point of this poem is not for you to point out shortcomings, work on your own. The point is for you to recognize where these evidences of grace, where these values, these virtues, wisdom are present in your, in your spouse. Value that. Second is for ladies. You too must cultivate this value system. The world is after you to tell you how to define your value in externals, in independence, in whatever it might be. But your worth biblically consists in a heart that fears the Lord. Cultivate that. Pursue that more than you pursue anything else. That is true value. That is true beauty. Make that your goal. Let's move on to verses 11 through 12. Verses 11 through 12, her worth is now expressed in the well-being she brings to her husband. It says, the heart of her husband trusts in her. He'll have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of his life. So these verses now go on to sort of unpack and explain verse 10 in a little more detail. This excellent wife is of such value to her husband because of how faithfully, selflessly, diligently she helps and blesses her husband. This is a woman of heroic strength. She's a valiant wife, but I want you to notice as far from how women are encouraged to live in our society today, we get a very different picture here. This woman is not a maverick going through life, doing her own thing, paving her own way, and independence from her husband. This is not egalitarian feminism we're getting here, where women find their identity in rejecting the traditional roles of headship and submission. Rather, this passage is teaching us that true femininity thrives and excels as it functions within its role as helper and supporter of her husband. That is what her, all of her activity is centering around. You can see it in the structure of the entire poem, and you can see it in these verses here. All that she does is for the well-being of her home and the success of her husband in his role. Again, I'll point it out again to you. Look at verse 11. The heart of her husband. So the outward frame, he trusts her. And then verse 28, the, her husband praises her. 23 is the pivot. Her husband's in the gate leading the nation. So the point is that this calling of wife is not second class. It is not unimportant. It's not insignificant. It is massively significant. The success of this man, this king, rises and falls on his wife. She is not unimportant at all. The fact that you have different roles does not mean value is any different. This calling does not also mean that she never leaves the doors of her home. Sort of the other side of the pendulum where the wife is feeble and incompetent and can't do anything and just sitting around at home all the time. This woman is in the marketplace. She's dealing with the merchants. She is planting vineyards. Uh, it's not a man be paying me woman, but yet everything she does is for the success of her 
husband and his role of leadership in the home. She's not paving her own way. So let's unfold this a little bit. Look at verse 11, the confidence of her husband. It is owing to his wife's faithfulness. It says the heart of her husband trusts in her. It's a very unique expression in Proverbs because the whole book of Proverbs, where ought your trust to be directed? In the Lord, God alone. And over and over, when people don't put their trust in the Lord, they put their trust somewhere else, it is, it is condemned. Don't do that. But we here we get a very positive expression. And we hear that her trust is in, his trust is in his wife. That's the idea of dependence. He is confident in her um, support of him. He's confident in her commitment to him. He's confident that she's not out seeking to undermine his leadership. He's confident that she's pursuing the absolute well-being of the home. And so he has the ability to focus and give full attention to carrying out his role as the leader of the nation where he's been placed. Remember, this is the king that, that is being talked about here. In other words, the husband recognizes that the extent that his wife fulfills her role, to that extent he will flourish in his role. Husband your role and wife, your role, they're different from each other, but they're not in competition with each other. They are mutually in need of each other, mutually dependent on each other. And homes and societies flourish where there's this kind of selfless leadership. The husband's selflessly leading, the wife's selflessly honoring and supporting and helping. Look at the next phrase. It says, he will have no lack of gain. The word is literally spoils. Uh, plunder. Again, more warrior language. Uh, she brings the plunder home. And, uh, and I think the idea is that uh, she is out active in industry, skill, labor, putting forth strength, and she is overcoming all of these obstacles as a warrior would, overcoming all these obstacles to um, take care of her home and support her, her husband. He has no lack. And we're going to see why he doesn't have lack in all the following verses owing to her industry, her faithful management of the whole. <clears throat> Finally, verse 12 gives us the focus of her activities. She does him good. See the focus. What is her focus? It's him. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. The focus is on the well-being of her home and of her husband. She does him good. Summarizes all of her activity that you're going to see. Bruce Walke summed up her activity this way. Her economic contributions, which she makes a lot of them, by her economic contributions, she frees her husband to play a predominant public role. She's supporting him. She's helping him. Doesn't mean he's not the provider for the family. Doesn't mean he's not doing uh, his job. He's not, again, he's just not sitting there doing nothing. We have the rest of the book of Proverbs to fill out what his activities are, right? We have the rest of the book of Proverbs to show what his role is. Um, that's not what it's talking about here. She's functioning within uh, the foundation he's laid in the home. So in these three verses, how has the excellent wife been defined? She's of exceedingly great worth, more precious than, use a modern term, um, expensive diamonds, whatever precious jewel you can think of. 
more than that, because she's more rare than that, because she comes from the Lord. Number two, she's characterized by warrior-like strength. She prevails with great success over the obstacles and caring for her home. She's selfless. Number three, she's devoted not to her agenda, but to the success and well-being of her home and of her husband and his role wherever God has placed him. And again, it doesn't mean she's second class. She is very important, very valuable. Her labor's not for her sake. Her desire is her promotion for the well-being of her home. So let me close with a few implications, then I'll open it up for some questions and, and comments. Again, men, this is directed to you. Give yourself to selfless leadership. Focus on verses 1 through 9. Guard yourself against those pitfalls that are laid out. And give yourself to self-sacrificial leadership to those who are under you. Your role as head is not given to you to demand service. But so you can lay your life down in sacrificial service for those in your care. But nevertheless, you're called to lead. You're called to set the pace and the pursuit after the Lord in your home. You're called to be the final provider and protector of your homes. And really, whether you acknowledge you're the head or not, God recognizes you're the head. And you bear the ultimate weight of accountability and responsibility before him, for your home. So feel the weight of leadership. But these are three things I want to point out for you from this passage. Your wife is not unessential. If you're married, you need your wife to be your helper and your supporter. You lead your wife, but it doesn't mean you don't need your wife. Number two, be the kind of leader and head that is worthy of your wife's support and commitment. She's commanded to. Don't make it harder than it already is. <laughs> be worthy of all of her labors. Be worthy in your leadership. Excel, a spiritual leader of your home, such that she can do this with joy and gladness. Number three, be mainly focused with fulfilling your role rather than on your wife's shortcomings. We all have shortcomings to work on. If you've been with us Thursday nights, um, mainly focus on your sin, where you need to be grown and uh, come alongside and encourage your wife. Recognize marks of grace. Recognize marks of faithfulness in your wife. And it's interesting. That's how this whole poem ends. And we'll get there at the very end. He's praising her. He's rising up and calling her blessed with the, with the children. <clears throat> Next is to, to the ladies. Remember what a high calling it is to be a wife and a mother. You're not an essential or second class because you're not the head not what it means. It's what the world tells you, but it's foreign um, to the biblical notion of the role of the, of the wife. Your greatest aim in marriage is the glory of God, and then after that it's the well-being of your home, and the prospering of your husband in whatever place the Lord has placed him, especially as the spiritual leader of your home. Number two, cultivate these virtues. This woman is given here to be a model for you. Just as all the other men that are in the book of Proverbs are the model for us men. Pursue these things. Grow in them. You're not at perfection yet either. Neither are we men. But our goal is to 
embody these four more. One more word to the singles. It's not unimportant for you. One day you may be married. These are important principles. And even not, even if you will not be married, these are still massive, massively important principles. So I want to highlight two things. Your value, your worth, your importance is not tied to externals. Whatever they are, however the world defines them, the most important thing in your life is the fear of the Lord. Cultivate that. More than you pursue anything else, fear Him, trust Him, internalize your word, submit to Him, look to Christ, make Him your treasure. That's true value. That is true beauty. And number two, um, we've seen already uh, what we've seen has been written to those who um, are already married. But if you're not married, that doesn't mean that you're hindered in some way from fulfilling your, your calling. Uh, Paul was not married, and yet he excelled as an apostle. And God has given singleness to some, and he'll provide everything you need. So what we've been unpacking is exhortations to those in marriage. If you're not, look to the Lord provide everything you need to excel where he's placed you. So I'm excited to, to go through, next week we'll be in verses 13 through 19. We'll be unpacking that for industry and uh, try to figure out, ladies, do you need to stay up all night and don't turn your lamps off and uh, work all night long and then get up before daybreak and prepare food? Is that what it's talking about? I don't, I don't think it is. So yeah, <laughs> It is very true. Um, but I think something very interesting is going on there. So you can relax. This is not going uh, to be brutal. Any questions, comments? Yes? Because I think the way she's fearing the Lord is by giving herself to the role that God has assigned her. She is serving the Lord. That's a very good point that you bring out. Serving the Lord doesn't look like going to church on Sunday, merely teaching a Sunday school class, merely um, going out and doing spiritual things, merely all those are serving the Lord. You serve the Lord as you faithfully live according to his established way. So as you faithfully love and obey him, day in and day out, where he's placed you, you're serving him. And that's what the fear of the Lord looks like. Fear of the Lord isn't just a religious thing that happens in church. It happens every second, every day, at least it's supposed to. So it's a good, good, good thing you pointed out there. Excellent. Anything else? Questions, comments? Disagreements? Snide remarks? Yes. Yep. So I think, first of all, this is addressed to King Lemuel from his mother. Um, he's teaching him um, about the wife he either is to acquire or the wife that he has already acquired. And so I think it's addressed to a king. So I think it's who's the husband here. It's clearly he's the husband. Um, and also, you're, you're exactly right. The city gates, we'll talk about this more when we get there. But it's not like how we would think of a gate. It was where 
government took place. It's where judicial proceedings took place. It is where laws were executed. It is where um, commerce happened. It, it is the center of city uh, life, is the city gates. And that's where the kings would be found. Um, so you're, you're right there. Um, but that's my, my reasons. So. Good. Anything else? Ideas? Thoughts? I love this, when I was just studying, I just love the balance that's here. Because it, it, it uh, doesn't go to the extreme the world goes, where the women are the strong, and what that looks like is breaking away from the roles that are given in Scripture. She's out doing her own thing, making a name for herself in some way, disregarding uh, the roles of husband-wife. And yet on the other extreme, how are women usually paint on that extreme. Well, they're just weak. They can't do anything. Just sit at home and bake pies and they, you know, they can't do anything else. That's not the picture you get either either way. She's a woman of mighty valor and strength and yet a complete um, submission and devotion to the well-being of her home and uh, succeeding of her husband. It's a beautiful balance that's given here. So, any other thoughts? Questions? I don't know if you're going to say something. Yeah, it's it's such it, there's so much culture that's involved in something like this. Yes, you know I think of my mother in the in the, in the, in the, in the 30s. She was responsible for making the clothes of the home. She was responsible for producing the the, the meals of the, from the gardens. Yep. She was responsible for for doing half of the milking in the in the barn. Uh, it, it, yeah, none of these things are now. Yep. Uh, uh, required of, of the wife. Yep. You know, if the if the wife today was supposed to take care of all of the clothes, she's got to find have a job to, to yeah. earn money to buy those clothes. Yep. She wants to get all the vegetables ready. She's got to get a job to buy the the, the can the tins from from the grocery store. So the culture is so different. It is. The wife produced all that in in, in this uh, ancient times. Yep. That was her job. Yep. That's exactly right. And if you're if you've been around very conservative circles before, you'll hear Proverbs 31, and some people go so far as to say, if you really want to be this kind of way, you got to make your own clothes. you got to do these specific things. But there's so much culture that's going on. You're exactly right. And the point is not those activities. The activities isn't the point. It's the purpose of the activities and what it symbolizes and how she's functioning and all of these things. So that's exactly exactly right. So. Yes. Just a humorous uh, thing for a moment. I, I don't know if anyone looks at People Magazine, but I was in the grocery store and I saw People Magazine there. And it was uh, there was a little story about Princess Kate, mm-hmm. and it said the the caption said Princess Kate's wild weekend. She sheared a sheep. <laughs> That's, that was the subtitle, and, I, and I was, I was this was like yeah, a few days ago. I was looking at this, and I thought, That's well, very funny. I guess she's like the Proverbs thirty-one woman. That's yeah. a wild weekend. Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> humorous. That's very funny. Yeah. Wish I saw that one. Yeah. So, but that's interesting. She's royalty, and this one here's royalty. She's not above menial labor. You can see that. So, yeah, it's good. Awesome. All right. Well, it is. Uh, 1018, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's clarity. Help us to now faithfully go and work it out in specific ways in our sphere of influence that you've placed us. And, um, we love you. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to us. Thank you for the gift of the wives you've given to each of us husbands. And thank you uh, 
the establishment of marriage and family. We love you. Praise you and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.